0: From raw and radical, this is on display—a podcast about extraordinary women in the arts, their true stories, and inspiration. I am Maureen Brodbeck, and every episode features a conversation with one great woman in the arts or music. There are dialogues about real-life challenges, exploring what it means to be a woman in creativity. Today, we are going to talk about sex and art. We are welcoming the great Maya Maseret. She is a writer, a columnist, a sex editor, a keynote speaker, a painter and an illustrator. She is French and she lives in New York. She has been researching the subject of sexuality for over 15 years now. She just published two books. One is a collection of essays published by Le Monde, which is equivalent in France to the New York Times. And the other one is a double essay that explores the narrative of the whole in sexuality. She also writes for magazines and papers such as Le Monde, GQ magazine, Uzbek Enrico who calls her a sex expert, and also Le Temps in Switzerland. She publishes every Sunday a sex chronic in Le Monde where she investigates, gives advice and shopping advice on sexuality. She had a podcast called Sex and Sounds that was running for one season. Hi Maya, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Today is the opening of your exhibition here in Geneva at the Gallery Anelix Forever. You will be exhibiting with a photographer called uh, Guillaume Varon. The show is called Elle et lui. I can translate this to her and him. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because it's really a
1: complement to each other because I'm a woman and i'm painting a lot of different men and he's a man and he's making photographs of only one woman and i'm doing things in uh, colors and he's doing black and white so we
0: have kind of opposite points of view excellent please tell me about what you will be presenting what what is the work you will be presenting in that show today
1: it, it's going to be about a lot of naked men and that's what i do it's what i love doing Um, so you'll have paintings and drawings. And, uh, so I live in New York. I've been living in Brooklyn for the last five years. And my, uh, my boyfriend is a comedian and he has a lot of friends who are on stage all the time. And I take actors, so actors from New York, and I ask them to pose for me. So they come at home, they come on my kitchen table and I make my apartment all dark and then a kid and of course I keep my clothes on and I decide how exactly I want to have them for me so I'm paying a lot of attention to uh, lights to volumes usually I pick models who are very uh, not not very tall usually quite small but very muscular and uh, and I kind of twist them so it's a lot about it's not academic at all so they're not really far away from me they they're really close and uh, and I move them around, so with my hands. And uh, sometimes I use acrylic, sometimes I use watercolors or just uh, stand-up pencils. And uh, so it's only uh, men. And sometimes you see just a little bit of my body in the frame because I'm, I'm there. So just, uh, just men, naked men, beautiful men.
0: Excellent. So you are really hands-on is the, the word to yes, say. Yes, yeah?
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because since I, I don't have an academic education, I never went to art school. I had no idea that you had so many rules about what you're <laughs> supposed to be doing yeah. with the models. Yeah. So um, sometimes now I share some models with a painter who's older and uh, more educated than I am. And when he saw what I was doing, he was horrified because he said like, what but you are not allowed to touch the else and of course i asked for consent and uh, repeatedly. so so if um, if those men don't want to do something that i need them doing they can always say no because also i keep asking and he was implying that i shouldn't even be asking they should be three meters away from me and i should tell them uh, okay so can you move your hand I don't know, three centimeters on the left, on the right. And I find that, uh, I think that you're losing a bit of emotion if you're doing that. And also it makes everything very formal and you lose the energies that you have at the moment. Um, It's not the way I look at men. It's not the way I touch even my friends in real life. Sometimes you are close to people and the way you see them uh, is not at a distance. And it changes also how the body interacts with the frame because If people are really close to you, sometimes you have a bit of uh, deformations of the body because the perspective is so strong. But in the same time, it looks more real. Uh, You're actually just a little bit closer uh, from what you see sometimes in movies, in TV series. So it's also a graphic language that we are a bit more used to.
0: It's funny you talk about movies because when you... We're explaining that you touch the models, I picture right away in my head this uh, very intense moment when you say action and cut that in-between moment where you go really in the intensity of the scene you are filming. And this is what came up to my mind when you said you touch the models. and and you make them move and so there is a strong connection and the physical connection makes it really intense and sensual in a way and that can only come out in the paintings and drawing you do
1: Yeah, it's a lot of different emotions it's really fun because I'm sometimes uh, scared because you never know exactly how the interaction is going to happen sometimes it's very cold, uh, because maybe uh, the situation is a bit threatening for men who are not used to posing. None of them are professional models. They've never done that before. And um, it's voluntary, because sometimes when you pick models who are used to it, they also have, I would say, bad habits, Uh, especially for masculinity. The idea of what it is to be a man is to look like a superhero. So they're bending their muscles and puffing their chests. And it's fun. But if I want to see that, I can just go to the movies and uh, watch, I don't know, Spider-Man. So sometimes they're scared. Sometimes they're really tired and they fall asleep on my table. Uh, Sometimes they can be aroused. Sometimes you can see that they're blushing. And sometimes myself, I feel my heart beating too fast. Because um, as women, we don't have a lot of occasions to look at men for three hours, three hours, thirty mm. at a time. Mm. Usually, well, we mostly see men who are dressed up, and also in museums and in uh, on TV. Uh, the Guerrilla Girls you told me were in uh, are in Geneva at the moment, and I remember them in New York saying that eighty-five percent of the bodies we see in museums—that was in the seventies—were female, and I think today it's still seventy-five percent of the bodies we see in museums. so that are um, female only and uh, so it's an entirely new interaction to build between mothers and artists when you're challenging gender roles so much and the second thing about uh, moving them displaying them on my table i would say is a bit more uh, like in pottery i want them to be like clay under my hands so sometimes i'm looking for a specific muscle specific volume or I'm looking for a specific bone to stick out. So I need to twist them a little bit. And it's funny because of course, the point of reference that I have is myself. And sometimes as a woman, you're a bit more flexible. So for example, if you want to have the hip bone, uh, you, you end up pushing quite a bit on the body of the guy because you really want it to stick out and they can't because they're absolutely not flexible. So you have moments when you're just laughing with uh, nice frustration because you want something from them that they cannot give. And I'm lucky because uh, I have quite a few of them actually. So if I cannot find what I want from one of them, I know that uh, I can probably ask another one. <laughs> and it's nice to have like a, a collection like that of... Uh, uh, 30 year old men posing for me it's really fun yeah. yeah and and it's very therapeutic for them that's also something that i really like uh is that sometimes so i i pay them of course because they're working for me and it's a real job uh some of them at the end say that they don't need to be paid because it's uh, like a therapy for them uh to be seen to be um Desired when they're desirable. Um, Because as men, sometimes they have the feeling that they're invisible. Mm. And here I'm talking about actors. So people who are used to be in the light, to be on stage. But even if it's their job um, to be also uh, moved around by directors, it's still something very different to be very close to someone for a long period of time. And to be uh, naked, of course, as a man. Mm. And and also to make it even more intimate. The way I paint them is that I have a loop of music that is less than two minutes long. And it's the same loop over and over and over again. And at first, I was using that for me in order for me to forget uh, the time. Because if you just put music, you know that every song is going to be three, four minutes. So you know exactly how long it's been. And I wanted to put myself in a sort of a trance so that I can really be in the moment and, and feel the emotions. And I realized that if I couldn't uh, have any sensation of how much time it's been spent together, then my drawing was more free. And it's the same when I, um, when I make sure that I don't see the light outside. So when I told you that my apartment is all dark, uh, if it's in the evening, then I don't see the sunset. So I have no idea how long they've been working with me. And funnily, even if I don't pay attention, it's almost always three hours or a bit more than three hours. So there's a moment when me as an artist, I'm also just tired and I feel like, you know, we've reached uh, what we could do in one session. And then uh, for some of them, they come and they come again and again.
0: So you are um, in a way inversing the roles as yes, what I am. we call normal in a way, yes. which is even um, strange to say that actually, that there is a normality to it.
1: And it's funny because it's so unusual that when I talk about what I do and some um, young women who are painters or photographers say that they would be interested in having men posing naked for them but they don't know how to do it because we yet have to invent how this relationship is working in that specific dynamic of power Mm -hmm. because you could say that uh, around my table so well um, I'm dressed and they're naked uh, and you know I have the money and I'm the artist and they are the money and they're working for me but in the same time you still have the idea that they are men and I'm a woman and that uh, I I pick very strong men so they could overpower me very easily if things were going wrong. So uh, can you abuse them? Would they abuse you? And I realized that some younger artists are afraid that the man think that uh, the artist's proposition is actually a sex proposition, a seduction proposition. And that they would be uh, maybe harassed, maybe assaulted at their home. So they're scared. And of course, the money is a good way to put a distance. Uh, Like we are working together and that's what's happening. But also be... um, (laughs) It's not about being brave because those women are definitely not cowards. It's more about taking a permission that usually is not given to women as artists to do that and to feel safe. And we know that it's a very new thing because until very recently, uh, the women were not allowed to be part of art academies. And when they finally got yeah. uh, the permission to do that, then they were not allowed to attend to nude classes. And then when they could do that, then they could only see female bodies and not male bodies. So it's very important because people say that uh, when people give you freedom, you better use it in case you lose it. Well, as women, if we have the freedom to look at uh, male ne- naked bodies, we better use it because it's still not obvious today. So it's still very subversive and a little yeah. bit transgressive.
0: Yeah, we're very used to look at the female body and the men body. It almost feels uh, sometimes uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and the models themselves don't yeah. feel legitimate. Yeah, because totally. it's something that I hear all the time. People saying that there's no point in painting male bodies because they're ugly in the first place so it's really weird because for me as a straight woman of course if I have sex with men it's because I find them beautiful and sometimes I meet straight women who say like yeah okay I have sex with men but come on obviously women are more beautiful and I keep telling them if you think that women are more desirable then maybe you should have sex with women and if you find that men move you enough that you physically want to have sex with them then maybe they should be on your kitchen table naked mm. and and you should be able to make this connection between your art, and uh, and your clitoris and mm. your vagina yeah. and and sometimes we don't take that permission and so the models are so used uh, to internalize the idea that the male body is not interesting that they say like, but why do you ask me? Like, I'm not, I'm not interesting. And of course, they are very, very interesting. And they're also very nice people and are adorable. And we laugh a lot when we are together and we're having good conversations when we speak. And um, when, when people finally realize that, of course, a male body is beautiful. And you, the usual trick is to tell them, but look at the Greek statues. So it's a bit cheating, right? Yeah. But it works each time. Then they will say, okay, the male body is interesting, but then the penis is ugly and disgusting. And again, you have to make some kind of uh, education and say like, no, of course it's not disgusting. And how dare you? Because if you say that the male genitals are disgusting, then it means that me as a woman, my desire is disgusting. My desire is not legitimate because what am I if I desire something disgusting? Am I some sort of monster? So it's really weird because you also have the right to say that you're offended by those people who are too shy to pose because it's a denial of uh, a straight woman's desire or of gay people's desire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're in 2020, so it's time to change, right? It's time to change, for sure. (laughs) For sure. No, and I think that the way you paint them is so... Sensual and poetic, and really beautiful. And it's really successful the way you manage to Thank you. paint men and paint their genitals. And yeah, just use the colors and the brush. I think it really comes out in a fantastic way. Thank
1: Th- you. But it's true that I'm trying to be very honest about yeah. my emotions. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they're just so beautiful that it's impossible to not just follow the Mm. flow and it's interesting because of course um, when they can when the position allows it they're looking at me looking at them and that's also very interesting dynamic happening there so sometimes I'm the one who's blushing because I see that they're looking (laughs) where I'm looking and sometimes I'm staring straight at the genitals or drawing it And, and I feel shy about it even though I've been doing that for, uh, for a while now. So sometimes I artificially avoid looking at the genitals because I feel like um, I'm under surveillance. And yeah. sometimes it's the other way around and I'm a bit angry that you know like I shouldn't, yeah, I, I shouldn't pretend that I'm not watching when I'm actually watching. So yeah. then I spend 20 minutes staring and drawing again and again and again only the genitals so it's it's funny but i'm sure that uh, this specific part it must be the same for men painting women uh, and also the position that i choose sometimes are very revealing and some position that you don't always see on men yeah because if you look at pornography for example you see that not only is the male body reduced uh, to its genitals but the genitals to the penis and the penis to the erections so of course uh, Sometimes my models have uh, erections or half erections uh, and they're shy about it and they absolutely uh, then learn that it's not a problem at all with me, it's a reality of what is happening in the room. But of course, I want to also have access to uh, not have access. I want to also be able to um, paint uh, the testicles, and sometimes it's a part of the male body that you don't see. And sometimes I want to look at the uh, at the buttocks, and uh, sometimes I'm gonna make them bend forward, and it's position that you associate culturally with women mm-hmm. and not with men. And it yeah. takes a bit of time for me to. Um, to earn their trust and I wouldn't want them to do that for me if I didn't earn it in the first place. But it's also nice to have this um, uh, sort of uh, being confident to each other and trusting each other enough that we know that we are safe together in this room and that we can try new things and that they can allow themselves to be seen the way they've never been seen by anyone in their entire life.
0: Yeah. Amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because what is more basic in art history than to paint bodies? And in the same time, you're in 2020, and sometimes your art gallerist, Barbara Pola, in my case, says, I've been doing this job for decades and I've never seen a man's body display like this Because because maybe it hasn't been done. And it's a bit of a frustration myself when I go to museums or exhibitions when sometimes I feel that, the repetition that is made about um, the codes of the female body yeah. is sometimes a little bit frustrating, also because we keep reinventing the wheel. We keep saying like, oh my God, look at the female body, so uh, curvy, so delicious. But it's, um, it's sometimes a little bit of the same, uh, especially when uh, straight male are doing the art. I'm yeah. sorry for them. And then you, of course, have all the movement of the female gaze starting in the late 60s, which is about women reclaiming their own bodies, but I myself uh, can be also a little bit tired by the fact that women have a very, very uh, uh, intense uh, discourse about the fact that they have to emancipate themselves and that they have to free themselves of the male gaze when they still only turn their gaze on women. And usually not yeah. on women, but on yeah. their own body. So if you look at Instagram, it's a lot of self-portraits. And it's okay to be narcissistic. I'm fine with that. And maybe I am myself. But I think we have so much to discover as women. If we stop looking at ourselves, if, if we stop wanting to correct the way men look at us, and then we turn our gaze on their bodies and I have no problems with being a sex object. But I'm definitely a subject of desire and I want to show it to the mm. world because it is not shown and because I really strongly believe that this is where the next revolution is taking us because there's no sex revolution if women keep not taking the initiative, if women keep being the ones who are seen all the time and very vulnerable about what their bodies look like and always thinking like, oh my God, uh, am I, um, How am I seen? I mean, is it that important to be seen all the time? I see it also in the body positive movement. The issue is always like, I want to be seen as beautiful even though I'm, I don't know, uh, old, fat, black, um, if I have disabilities or whatever. But what if the next revolution was about not caring all the time if you're beautiful or not? Mm. Being able to say like, I'm maybe ugly, maybe very uh, very common and I don't care because I have more ways to be validated by the society mm. than just my looks as women I think that we should uh, I mean we know already that we have to be uh, clever and fun and of course we are but it feels that when we're not beautiful then the other qualities don't matter anymore and maybe we should be able to say I'm not beautiful and I don't care at all because I prefer to look at other people. Mm. Obviously men are really good at not caring at what they look like and to be very happy by contemplating the world. And I'm a very contemplative Mm -hmm. person myself. And it's not only about male bodies. It's also about landscapes, uh, fruits, vegetables. I find that food is so beautiful and The way it makes me feel is that I can forget myself and it's so good as a woman to sometimes forget about yourself. I find it very liberating. Sometimes I think about Umberto Eco, the Italian writer, and he wrote in one of his columns for uh, an Italian newspaper that the people who created the strongest ideas, the most beautiful philosophy in the world, were always wearing dress. So it could be... uh, Um, you know uh, togas from ancient Greece or philosophers or the dress of uh, lawyers or painters because at that moment they could not see themselves anymore so they could disappear and give all uh, the space to the art and let the, the paintings or the creations be in the light and sometimes when I paint or even when I write because I'm also a writer I wear something very big that is erasing myself from my own gaze, so I can uh, forget about like oh my god, oh my hands, oh my thighs, uh, and it's um, it's funny that I need to do that because it should be automatic. But as women, we're so trained to constantly be reflecting on ourselves, and it's funny because yeah. we're doing this podcast now, and there's a mirror. Behind you, (laughs) You so I can sometimes see myself. (laughs) And I see that my, for example, when I'm talking to you right now, my eye is caught by my own reflection all the time. And it's nice to sometimes not have mirrors. For example, I have only one small mirror at my place in my bathroom because I don't want to have big mirrors. Mm And I don't want them to be anywhere.
0: You know, it makes me really think that culture and religions have made such a thing and created so many stories about the human body when it is the most natural and amazing thing that is created. And, you know, the fascination to my own body or the other body Whether it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. It's still as fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's funny, right? I mean, we have images everywhere around us and we can't get out of our fascination for the bodies. I mean, how many billions maybe of images did we produce about bodies and we can't get enough. I think there's something really weird about that because at some point... I mean, I'm not saying that you could finish art the way you finish a video game. But don't you want to say that everything that could be said and shown about a female body has been shown by now? And in the same time, it's still happening. Things, representations are still being produced, mass produced every day because I don't know how many selfies are taken every day, for example, or how many pictures we take on our cell phones every day, but it's probably dozens of millions, and it's bodies, really. So, um, yeah, and I think that most of those images are produced about the female bodies and that we would have so much more to do with the male bodies. So I'm happy to be part of these relatively new things, at least at least for women, because men, of course, have been painting other men for a while.
0: Yeah. You said it is our responsibility as women, writers, and artists, to tell men that they are handsome, to paint them and film them and describe them, to convince them of their erotic power, a power that has its foundation in cooperation and letting go, and that it will allow us to see men and live men in their entirety, I hope I translate this correctly because the text was in French. No,
1: I, I like your translation. When I say that women should do it, it's because of um, the fact that internalized homophobia prevents men from do, doing that between them and sometimes even to themselves. Yeah. If they look at another man's body, uh, they could be accused. So I'm, uh, I'm making uh, quotes with my yeah. fingers when I or say classified. that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And we know that it's very dangerous to be labeled as gay still today they could face physical aggression and i hear it sometimes when i make a comment about a man and i say like oh wow look at him he's very handsome or very muscular or whatever and other men around me will answer oh i I don't know no i'm not able to have um, an aesthetic judgment on another man's body and who exactly are you trying <laughs> to convince when you're saying that? Because, of course, we have an aesthetic sense mm. and, of course, we have a, a judgment sense that is always active in our brain, but they manage to shut it off in order to not be labeled as gay. So I think if women do it first, it might them make them understand that they can have an aesthetic judgment without having any... Uh, without making any political, personal, intimate, sexual statement. yeah, But that we have to show them that it is possible because I think it's rooted very, very deeply into their psyche. So it's our job and it's a very, very nice and fun job to do. Yeah. Because as women, we've been complaining, we've been uh, saying repeatedly for good reason that our bodies, especially in advertisement, have been cut into small pieces. And the body of men is also, as I was saying before, actually really, really more and more cut into smaller and smaller parts. And they feel that they have to be perfect. And the kind of pressure that we feel as women to be always young and skinny and very firm, they start feeling it with beauty standards for men who become highly unachievable because what we see in the, um, in the movies, actually, the, the bodies that we see in movies are more and more the ones of superheroes. So I remember recently watching on uh, Netflix The Witcher and the, the man, it's Henry Cavill, has a wonderful, wonderful body. But he was also saying that when you see his body, it's not fake, but it took him, in addition to months and months of physical preparation, three days without drinking water almost, in order for the skin to be dry enough that it would kind of be glued to the bones and to the muscles. And uh, he was saying that he was so crabby because he was in pain uh, physically and emotionally and that he didn't want to talk to anyone because he was thirsty. And that's the price to pay if you want to be that very beautiful, impossible man the same way that as women... We keep saying those bodies in the um, Victoria Secrets uh, catwalks, and I think it's the same, that they don't drink for a while before. Do we really want to look like that, or do we want to create new representation showing that different types of body are beautiful, and if they're not beautiful, that they're interesting, because sometimes you don't have to have beautiful bodies to end up in museums, and you don't need to be freaks. Also, you don't Mm. need to be in the caricature of the Mm. other side and saying like, oh my God, because it's ugly, then it's so fascinating because that's also weirdly objectifying for the people whose bodies are not in the norm. I think that the same way that in my columns, I like to talk about the sexuality of the very, very basic people who've been together for 20 years, who are straight, who are not doing things that are very spectacular in bed. I would like more and more to turn my attention to bodies who are not very ugly, not very beautiful, but have their, maybe their strengths of life really, because um, then you're in a way closer to to the standard, to then you're closer to maybe the average nature and that it's perfectly sufficient Hmm. to end up in a museum or, or in an exhibition. Yeah.
0: You know, that's funny because um, I saw a movie not long ago and unfortunately I cannot recall which movie it was, but (laughs) to talk about codes and language because they did a whole sequence where they put men in the role of women in advertising, you know, doing the car wash or promoting the car. And it was so ridiculous. It was funny. But this is really showing how our culture is associating some roles to women with cars. And if you go to any car show in the world, it's still women around cars walking around.
1: And I find fascinating that you're talking about the fact that it can seem laughable. Yeah. Because when I started having the intuition that we had to show more men's bodies, I think it was already maybe 15 years ago, so it actually took me a long time between the moment when I thought about it and the moment when I took my pencils and did it. I was talking to, I think uh, it was GQ magazine, but I also had uh, talked about it with, I think, Marie Claire at the time in France. I wanted to have the equivalent of uh, male pinups. So yep. just beautiful body. So it it would work in a female magazine or in a male magazine. And both uh, chief editors reply that it would be ridiculous. Yeah. And as women, we see that when we express a desire for men that is not based on their intelligence, their sense of humor, and the fact that they are fascinating people, if we're just interested in the body, we very quickly have people saying, like, oh my God, you must be such an idiot. Uh, you're the kind of girl who likes boys bands and Justin Bieber and, and uh, I don't know who's equivalent today, maybe uh, Timothy Chalamet <laughs> <laughs> and and so when you express something that men would have the freedom uh, to, to do yeah. or say all the time which is like, yeah, I like women also for their looks, if you say the same when you're straight, women, people tell you that you, yeah you must be an idiot so in magazines it didn't work because There was the idea that not only would it be ridiculous per se, Mm. it would be an insult to intelligence for the readers, but also it would not be possible because the codes of displaying only one body on one page are so related to what we associate to uh, female bodies that it just wouldn't work. And it's something that I faced when I started working on my paintings, that if Uh, What what is masculine? What is beautiful for a man? And um, I realized that we are used to see them as sexy human beings only when they're doing something because you have the idea that women are passive and men are active and men give orgasms in sex and women just lie there and look at the ceiling. So if you want to have one man alone on a picture... And maybe he's doing nothing, he's not applying his power on a human being yeah, showing the or power. an object. Then suddenly you have a man who's displaying some kind of f- female qualities and then it's not sexy anymore and it doesn't work. And when I started painting, I also had to invent for me a language of position that would still be sexy, at least to my opinion. And I think people find it sexy <laughs> but that wouldn't use this kind of trick uh, that is uh, a, a man with a gun, yeah. uh, a man do, do <laughs> doing something uh, and to, to have something very hedonistic yeah. about a man that is lying, that is Just maybe lazy yeah. and it's sufficient and it's enough. That was new. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I saw this great TED Talk, uh, the TEDx in tour you did last year. The name of it is What We Forgot to Tell You About Sex. You say in this uh, talk that uh, we have a problem with language, that we have words missing when we talk about sex.
1: Yes, because we tend to have only three types of words. So you have something very scientific, so it's usually words that have a, a Latin origin. Uh, so it's a case uh, for uh, testicles and vulva and vagina. Yeah. Then you have things that are <laughs> very childish and then you have things related to um, yeah, vulgarity that are just gross, like cunt and dick and everything. So, of course, when you have this kind of paradigm, it's very hard to talk about sex because it's weird mm. either way. Mm. So how do we talk about sex when we don't even have the words to structure not only the ideas but also just the basis of communication? Yeah. So we see that the uh, sex culture is uh, a bit impacted by the fact that we sometimes miss the very first step before we can communicate together. True. And it's going to be quite a challenge to reinvent a language that would allow us to show our limits, our vulnerabilities, our Mm. fantasies, without feeling that we are ridiculous, that we are gross, that we are weird, that we should be ashamed, that we should be hurt, and that we should hurt people.
0: Yeah, you talk about the script, uh, the psychosexual script. Yeah, it's um, it's uh,
1: it's kind of a concept that uh, has a few decades already. Uh, if people have seen the series Master of uh, Sex, I think that was the name. Uh, the Psychosexual Script. I cannot say this in English. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was giving a conference uh, in, uh, in New York and in Miami actually last week. And I also couldn't say it publicly. Psychosexual Script. Here we go. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. So for straight people, uh, you're kissing. Maybe you're touching, maybe you have oral sex and then uh, penetration, ejaculation, end of story. And when you look at the numbers of what straight people actually do in bed, well, it's mostly that because it, people have tried usually other things in their life. For example, if you take anal sex, more than half of the people have tried. And at the moment, I just had the numbers and... Um, In the US, 57% of women own a sex toy and 44% of men. So we see that people try stuff. But what they do in their everyday life is very limited because for anal sex, I think it's only 4% of people had anal sex last month. So Mm. it's not something very common. And for bondage, it's 1%. And even for something as uh, easy as masturbation in the presence of the partner, It's only one person out of five, so it's not really something that people Mm. do. So the fact that we have a script that is so narrow and so based on reproduction means that we are always doing the same thing. And not only is it repetitive, but it's not very efficient, especially for women because we're only talking about vaginal intercourse. And we know that only a quarter or maybe a third of women can reach orgasms through penetration, only you need to clitoris for the rest of it. So it doesn't really work for women, and I tend to say that it also doesn't really work for men, because they have those kind of orgasms that um, are qualified sometimes as mechanic. I think it's a bit unfair, uh, honestly. But if you are touching a man uh, from the inside and from the outside, from the prostate and on the penis in the same time, then they could have the chance to reach what experts call super orgasms that are longer, deeper, and more intense than standard orgasms. So we see that not only do we not, very know, not know very well what gives pleasure to women, we also don't know what is giving pleasure to men. Yeah. And if we don't even talk about it, how the hell are we supposed to know how to do it? Yeah. And it's really not complicated technically Mm. i'm not talking about sexual practices that would require some intense training or a phd (laughs) not at all so it's it's very very simple to do and um, most men don't even want to try a lot of women also don't want to be in charge of sexuality so we see that we are a bit stuck yeah but I have excellent hope because, of course, sex culture is developing uh, quickly and intensely. And mm. we see that people are eager to have more and more information, even if sometimes are will be too shy to try. So, um, yeah, there's still so much to do in that field. It's crazy because we keep talking about how my parents' generation liberated sex. But they liberated sex from reproduction, They kept doing exactly the same type of intercourse, just yeah. with
0: different people. It's actually very interesting that sex and money have the same limited or non-existent education. When you think about it, we are raised um, to learn a lot of things because we go to school and our parents are usually eager for us to learn and know and discover and you know, make sure that we are culturally, um, not efficient, but uh, knowledgeable, Mm-mm. but we... I would say most people absolutely never receive an education with finance and money. Absolutely. And sex, you have to discover this on <laughs> your own.
1: Yeah, because we also consider that sex and money are not suitable for kids, yeah. that they they shouldn't know about it because it's yeah. something that they will discover very uh, yeah. late in their life. And it's a bit weird because we know that kids have access to smartphones and devices sometimes very young and sometimes, of yeah. course, they can pay. I mean, if they're young enough to receive advertisement, then they're already in contact with money and sometimes very aggressive capitalism. And also for sex, we know today that at 13, 14, most kids have watched porn, intentionally or not, mm-hmm. and that for a solid fraction of them, they will have seen pornography before they turn 11, so before they reach puberty. Mm. So they don't have... I mean, they're not equipped uh, intellectually to understand what's going on, but also physically, it's crazy because it gives you so such weird standards. And yeah. I would ev- even argue that even as adults, we are still not equipped to watch pornography. It is so hyperbolic. It's so crazy. And we see what it does to us because sometimes we're a bit in denial. We say it just porn, and I'm watching say, you know, once every second day and it's just 10 minutes and then you know I'm relieved of my passion and I just go on with my day but imagine putting the same images for years and years of your life Uh, even 10 minutes every second day I mean I would have learned Chinese or Russian Uh, I mean that's brainwashing it's a lot of time that we could spend uh, learning about sex in a different way or taking care of our kids or I don't know petting our cat and pretending that it has no consequences to expose yourself repeatedly mm. to images that are very um, very alike all the time it's always yeah. the same codes of course it has an influence of you and of course it teaches your brain to desire certain things and uh, it's true in the brain if you look at a uh, uh, brain imagery you see that uh, a gratification system is uh, more and more efficient if you keep doing the same thing you know the first cigarette maybe you're coughing but if you keep smoking then you're having this pleasure when you also have to increase the number of cigarettes that you smoke to have the same kind of pleasure so in pornography you, you don't really have to you don't always have to raise the intensity of what mm-hmm. you're watching but of course uh, your brain is trained to be more and more efficient in uh, in using it and then it's difficult when you go back to real bodies sometimes i'm really i don't want to to caricature the topic because of course it's complicated it depends if the people are vulnerable or not but you nobody should say that you can do something a lot in your life and it would have no consequences of course everything we do in our sexuality Mm -hmm. has consequences because everything has consequences Mm -hmm. there's nothing we do in our everyday lives that Doesn't have consequences for sure. And sometimes it's a bit naive when you say, "Oh, it's it's sex. It doesn't mean anything. It always means
0: something." Yeah. How do you, as an artist and writer, how do you navigate all this painting and uh, drawing nude uh, men and uh, writing about uh, sex and sexuality?
1: I think that for the painting themselves. People have seen my my drawings and illustrations for a while, so they were expecting at some point to see something a bit more serious about what I can do. Then I'm surprised to see that even though I'm very, very strongly committed to painting only male bodies, every time there's just a little bit of a boob, a little bit of a female part in a painting, I have 10 times more likes on Instagram, for example. So I can see that even people who um, are used to the kind of things that I can say uh, on this microphone today, they still prefer to watch female bodies. So it's funny because as an artist, I'm making a choice that I know uh, that to a certain extent is not financially, uh, mediatically very viable. Because people don't want to see what I do or not always or maybe they're a bit curious and a bit puzzled like oh that is weird male bodies naked men and that if I was doing the same uh, with just you know things that we've seen all the time with just, uh, just like beautiful women naked I'm sure that things would be easier for me. And it's an excellent thing that I have another job that I'm making a living out of being a writer because then it means that I'm completely independent in my painting because I don't need to make money with that. I can do exactly what I want. And it's also very interesting for me to be able to write about uh, eroticization of male bodies in my articles and to be able to show what it means uh, it's as if I was doing a theory and practice and causes and consequences. Because the first time that I started writing about the fact that it's really, really bad news for our society, if the male body is invisible, uh, it makes uh, men feel that they always have to harass women or to seduce them actively instead of receiving their desire. It makes men sometimes just a little bit uh, aggressive because also they think that they will never have sex if they don't do that. They feel that they have no other choice. So we pay the consequences for it all the time. And it's the same with the fact that we have a huge imbalance between uh, men and women's desire. Of course, if you're a man and you've seen naked woman all day long and in museums and on TV and in the advertisements in the street, you come back in the evening with your girlfriend, partner, spouse and you're already charged with sexual energy, you've already been titillated if you're a woman your everyday life is giving you absolutely no reason to be aroused at all so when it's time, if it is time and if you want to have sexual intercourse then you have to bring yourself to a level of arousal that you don't feel at all in the beginning so it takes more time and then I read people saying that they're frustrated because women are too slow but of course women are slow I mean they have absolutely no reason to want sex after their day at work and of course if they're going at work and then have to do domestic tasks and then have to take care of their kids and sex is mostly happening in the bedroom which is a place where women feel a lot of mental charge because say you have laundry in the corner then you're thinking oh my god I need to do the laundry I need to change the sheets <laughs> uh, here is a picture of my uh, toddler here on the wall I mean nothing yeah. is very arousing in a bedroom for a woman so if I, if I was a guy, a straight guy and I was frustrated about the fact that uh, my partner is not aroused enough. I would start with making the bed. I would start with making sure that the bedroom is an erotic place. So I realized that I went a bit further away from my. Uh, and so in the beginning, oh yeah, <laughs> we were talking about uh, how my work is um, is received. Yeah. So in 2009 already, I started writing articles about the fact that. If we don't show male's bodies, if we don't learn how to look at them, then women will never be able to have the kind of sexual desire that would make their sex life uh, not uh, similar to the one of men, but just maybe more comfortable for Mm -hmm. them, maybe nicer. I realized that some people couldn't even imagine what I was talking about because they could not imagine looking at a man in an erotic way and Mm. i was doing at the time a sort of call for artists like please women, if you have sex with men just take your take your camera take your pencils and do it and show this and that was a big silence in front of me for uh, (laughs) a number of years and uh, nobody really wanted to do that and at some point, you know, if you really want something to happen in the life around you, you just have to do it yourself. Yeah. So yeah, two years ago, I decided that I could not keep asking people to do something that I wouldn't want to make happen myself. Yeah. And I started to look for models, and I started to work yeah, and I started to realize that some things were more complicated than I imagined like to find this visual language about men yeah. and that sometimes things were less difficult also yeah. uh, than I imagine. It was very easy to find models, for example, yeah. and not only because I paid them, also because I realized that they were thirsty for being seen and for having this new experience. Mm. For men, it's quite hard, actually, if maybe, you know, even if maybe you're an exhibitionist and if you really, really are very narcissistic and you're very proud of your body, then what are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to show your body? You can't, you don't really have uh, outlets. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So for you, it's really important we, we really start changing the dialogue and challenging um, the way, especially the men body is perceived.
1: Yeah, and I think that it would work for everyone because as a woman, we would stop being uh, so worried about our body all the time because it wouldn't be the end of the conversation Mm. even if we were extremely ugly we could still have the intense happiness of looking at other things and it's really nice and very agreeable to be able to contemplate the beauty around us and for men it would relieve the pressure about having to take the initiative about performing sexuality And not be able to take a step back and let people do sex to you. uh, Like display their kind of desire on your body. So it would work for men and women. And I don't see why we haven't started yet Mm. more than that. I think that we're really late. It's it's funny because I see that there's a resistance. When I started writing about this, I told you in uh, 2009, I thought... That immediately people would understand what I was talking about and that we would just start, yes, start creating a lot of images of uh, male bodies. And it really, really didn't happen. And I don't really see the trend coming. Actually, I'm I'm unfair a little bit because now I start to see Instagram accounts that were created in order to celebrate men's, uh, men's bodies. So some of them are of course gay uh, yeah. gay accounts and it's really good and it's very, very beautiful and I'm myself a big consumer of gay art. Uh, it's very inspiring for me but I also don't want to consider that as women I should outsource my desire to gay people yeah. and also I think that gay men are very receptive when I show them my paintings because it's another point of view on yeah. something that they like. Absolutely. So it's a very friendly and yeah. good interaction between uh, me and my gay friends. Uh, and uh, so few women are starting art collectives about male bodies but so far there's nothing that i could just really recommend because i think it's in progress at the moment yeah, yeah. and if we if we were recording this podcast in a year i'm sure that i could come with a bunch of names that people could just type yeah. on their computer right now
0: it's still quite young
1: yeah it, it's really young but it's also exciting you know we, we shouldn't be depressed when we're having this conversation obviously we are not because it's also really nice and um, Uh, fascinating to be at the beginning of an experience sometimes you know in art we arrive after the big revolutions and we feel like oh my god it's not like in the 60s it's not like in the 70s everything has been said and done and then here we are with the queer cultures the new female gaze creating something that is entirely different that hasn't been done before and as artists it's, it's a Great uh, joy to see that we are relevant today, Absolutely. that we don't have to feel that we're inferior yeah. compared with uh, some big names from the past. You know, yeah. who's going to be the next Picasso or Egon Schiller? I have no idea, but I'm sure it's someone out there.
0: It's very exciting and interesting, this door you Especially open.
1: today, right? Yeah. When everyone is talking in the news about the end of the world and how <laughs> the nature is going to collapse, to yes. feel that something is starting... <laughs> and not being destroyed and not about to fail and, yeah. and that we're all about today is very comforting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You said that uh, today we have the means to create a sexual utopia.
1: Yes, I'm so happy about that uh, because I think that in my generation so I'm 41 for the record, I've been raised by parents who were 18 during the great French Revolution of May 68. So I was raised by people telling me that the revolution had already been done, and especially the sexual revolution. But as I was saying before, the revolution that my parents made, which is great, was about reproduction, about the fact that they could have sex without producing babies. And sometimes you just don't want to have more kids. So, of course, that's a wonderful thing, but what's the point if you keep having the same type of sex? And today, I would say that my generation and the next one to come is creating a change in the sex that we have. Am I a woman? Am I a man? Am I something in between or beyond? Uh, The sex we make, what kind of things am I doing in bed exactly? Is it happening in bed? Who am I having sex with? Do I have to be straight? Mm -hmm. Can I be queer, uh, gay, lesbian, pansexual, bisexual? We have a lot of different niche and uh, asexual and uh, gray sexual. There are so many things that we can do. Do I need to be in a couple? Do I need to... Practice monogamy? Can I try polyamory? Can I go to swinging parties or orgies? Uh, should I cheat on my partner? Have affairs? Have a double life? Uh, should my partner ask for consent? How? How much? How long? Mm. So we see that every single piece of the sex machinery is being challenged at the moment. And I know that sometimes it's very confusing that we feel that it's too much and uh, we are overwhelmed by the situation. And we yeah. have the temptation to go back to the good old days and yeah. it's a really, no really bad ask. idea. <laughs> 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 exactly, no question asked. You spread your legs and uh, that's what's happening. No, very seriously, it is great sometimes to be puzzled, to be lost, because then we can write a different sex map. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So sometimes yeah. what we... What we see as a pressure, of course, this feeling is completely valid, but it's also such a big chance because the alternative is shame, embarrassment and censorship. And the alternative is silence and not being able to create our own codes. Today, the problem that we have is that we have too many, too many possibilities. But what a luxury it is in sexuality. Mm. to have too many possibilities so sometimes i think we should be a bit more grateful uh, even when we are feeling some kind of discomfort because really i think all the older generations would have died to have the chance to be lost in their sexuality
0: yeah and celebrate
1: and celebrate and celebrate yeah 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 yeah.
0: celebrate new discoveries yeah
1: yeah, and uh, I don't know what the listener's sex utopia is about, but I hope that they keep looking for it, that they can try to intellectualize it, to verbalize it, and that they find partners who share the same dream. Because we also don't need to share the same dream. I don't need to be uh, to be right. I don't need to convince people when I'm doing a podcast like this with you. I need people to also disagree with me and... Uh, maybe me or representations or netflix or books that they read create their own unique way of life and then own it and mm. then reclaim it and celebrate it yeah. so my wish is not to um to say what exactly is the sex utopia i just want to uh to explain what is mine so that people can disagree and make their own
0: yeah and open the door, and yeah, exactly. start to take the first step
1: yeah and and then it's funny because you take the first step, and uh, maybe you're falling down the stairs, but, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but well. you, can, you can you you can uh, go in a number of directions and you can climb back on the stair if yeah. you're <laughs> if yeah. you're lost,
0: yeah, Maya, thank you so much. I can't <laughs> wait to you. see your show tonight,
1: yeah, and it's funny because you said you wanted to do a short podcast and this did not happen right no it's an hour (laughs) it's an hour oh wow (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) thanks
0: All this is produced by raw and radical an inspirational movement resource and community for women who want to be creative and live a creative life you can find out more about the artists on this series by going to rawradical.com Please leave us a comment and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It truly helps other people discover the show. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter to get updates and more goodies. I am Moran Brodberg. Thanks for listening.